We open our Bibles this afternoon to the book of Genesis, chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. We consider our series on the book of Genesis, first chapters of the book. Last time we considered the story of Cain and Abel in the first part of this chapter. Today we're going to consider the history of a man named Lamech and his three sons. That begins in verse 19. 19 through 24 will be the focus of the sermon. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth or angry, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that Every one that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch, And he builded a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. And unto Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begat Mehujael, and Mehujael begat Methusael, and Methusael begat Lamech. This is where the sermon will focus, beginning in verse 19. And Lamech 
took unto him two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other Zillah. And Ada bare Jabal. He was the father of such as dwell in tents, and of such as have cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ. And Zillah, she also bare Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. And Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech. Hearken unto my speech. For I have slain a man to my wounding, and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly, Lamech, seventy and sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. For God, said she, hath appointed me another seed, instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth and to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. We read that far this afternoon. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the many centuries that passed from the time of Adam to Moses, God preserved the memory of certain events and persons like Lamech by means of oral tradition. Fathers taught their sons about the great men and the great deeds and the significant things that happened in the past so that their sons would pass it on to their sons and so on down through the centuries so that the knowledge of things and persons and events that happened in the earliest and most ancient part of the history of the world were passed down over hundreds of years until the time of Moses who took up the pen and wrote them down. There were many things that happened in those first centuries of the world that were forgotten, that were lost from the memory of men. Those events were not recorded in Scripture. We know nothing about those things. But the most memorable and the most significant persons, events, that happened in those earliest years were preserved by God in the memory of men until they were recorded here in the scriptures. And the text that we're considering is an example of a significant man and his family and his life that God wanted preserved and put into the scriptures for our learning. As we look at the context around our text in Genesis 4 and 5, And as we see then that our text zooms in on this man named Lamech and his family, we understand the purpose is to show us the development of the human race from a natural and spiritual point of view at the midpoint of that first era of history from the beginning to the flood. That was the first era of history, which was about 1,656 years, if you add up the ages of the people in chapter 5. 
in that first era of history known as the pre-diluvian or pre-flood era, we are at the midpoint in the text. We have already seen events that happened at the beginning, God's creation of the world, the fall of man into sin by the instigation of the devil, Cain's murder of his brother Abel, who was more righteous than him. And then after that, we read about God's cursing of Cain. Cain had to depart from the presence of the Lord. The Lord was present in the land of Eden. The Lord had already banished Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. But now he banishes Cain from the land of Eden. Cain has to go on a journey eastward, out of the land of Eden. And he settles in the land known as Nod. The name Nod means wandering. And it indicates that Cain spent the rest of his life wandering as a fugitive and a vagabond. Although he had that mark on him that the Lord would avenge anyone who killed him seven times. After that, we read of a brief genealogy, chapter 4, verse 18. We read that Cain had a son named Enoch. Enoch had a son named Irad. Irad had a son named Mahujael. Mahujael had a son named Methusael. And Methusael had a son named Lamech. There's a brief genealogy that brings us quickly from Cain to Lamech. Cain at the beginning of history. Lamech at the midpoint of the first era of history, Lamech, the seventh, from Adam. This genealogy is very narrow. It focuses on only a few people. But we have to understand that hundreds of years of history have passed between Cain and Lamech, more than 500 years. That means that during that time, thousands and probably millions of people were born and started to populate the earth. But the scripture is not concerned about all those people. The scripture zooms us in on this brief genealogy and brings us down to Lamech at the midpoint. And there the genealogy ends. We read of Lamech and his three sons and his daughter, but we don't read about their offspring after them. Because the scripture has a singular purpose in showing us about Lamech. God intends, in our text, to reveal to us the development of the human race halfway through that first period of history, the development of the human race in natural and earthly things, but also in moral and spiritual things. And the purpose of that is so that we will understand and be able to see in our world today how things happen how things progress, how things develop. Just as the world developed in that day, the world is developing in our day. Not only in technological advance, cultural advance, but also in moral decline. That's what we have to see in the text this afternoon. Now, as I said, Lamech was the seventh from Adam, including Adam. There was another man who was also the seventh from Adam, but he was in the line of Seth. His name was Enoch. Not Enoch, the son of Cain, but a different Enoch. Also the seventh from Adam, contemporary of Lamech. But we're going to save the consideration of Enoch's life for our next sermon.
Today, we focus on Lamech. So the title of the sermon is In the Beginning. We are considering the beginning of the world, the beginning of history, the beginning of all things. And now today, Lamech's infamy. Notice in the first place that we receive a picture of earthly development, his three sons. A picture of sin's development, his life. And thirdly, a picture of fleeting triumph, his end. Looking at our text, chapter 4, verse 19, we read, And Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other Zillah. And Ada bare Jabal. He was the father of such as dwell in tents, and of such as have cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ. And Zillah, she also bare Tubalcain, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron, and the sister of Tubalcain was Naamah. We are given here a picture, a glimpse, into the development of the human race in the early part of history. We are given a glimpse here of what man had achieved by this time. We see great achievements were taking place, great advancements in human technology, culture, and industry. It's not as if there were no developments before this time. We already saw that Cain was one of the sons of Adam and Eve. And Cain, after he was banished from the presence of the Lord, he built a city, the city of Enoch. Cain built a whole city. And he was one of the first human beings born into the world. Clearly, Cain was no ignoramus. Clearly, Cain was an intelligent person. He must have developed skills in mining, in logging, in construction, in management to be able to build a city. That was probably the first city in the world, the city of Enoch in the land of Nod. Cain probably built that city to protect himself because he was a fugitive in the earth. People wanted to kill Cain. Now you have to fast forward probably more than 500 years and we find the birth of of certain descendants of Cain, Jabal, Jubal, and Tubal-Cain. These men may have been born in the city of Enoch. We don't know that for a fact, but they were in the line of Cain, and perhaps they were born in the city that Cain built, and perhaps they were educated there, and they learned all that mankind had come to know by that time. But they didn't stop there. These were brilliant men. And these men carried forward the advancement of the human race. They were pioneers. They were innovators. They were inventors who advanced the knowledge, technology, and culture of mankind. First of all, there was Jabal. Jabal was the son of Lamech and Ada. And Jabal was the father of such as dwell in tents and have cattle. Now, the idea is not that Jabal was the first person to domesticate animals. We know that already Abel domesticated cattle, sheep. Abel was a keeper of sheep. But the idea here in the text must be that Jabal was a brilliant pioneer in the whole world of tent-dwelling, cattle-raising people. He was a pioneer. He was an innovator. 
He was brilliant. He developed new and successful techniques in the cultivation of livestock, cows, bulls, sheep, goats, pigs, chickens, and all the rest. He was brilliant. And he invented new methods for the raising of cattle so that Jabal became a very famous man. He became known as the father of all such as dwell in tents and have cattle. The father of them, not because he was the first, but because he was such a towering figure in the world of that time that he became famous, he became wealthy, he became powerful. People followed in the footsteps of Jabal when it came to raising cattle and dwelling in tents. But since Jabal was a son of wicked Lamech, he did not grow up in a godly home. He did not grow up in a home of faith. He did not grow up in a God-fearing home, but a home of wickedness and unbelief. And therefore, Jabal, in his conquest of cattle, did not serve the Lord. In his daily work and occupation, which was having dominion over the beasts of the field, Jabal kept his nose down. He looked at his own affairs, his own desires, his own interests. He sought wealth and power and fame, just like the great businessmen of today, just like the cattle raisers, the financiers, and all of the great men in the economy of the world today, they seek their own wealth, their own promotion, their own glory and fame. That was Jabal. In the second place, there was Jubal, his brother from the same mother, from Ada. Jubal is called the father of such as handle the harp and the organ. That is, Jubal was a pioneer in the area of music. He was an innovator. He was an inventor of incredible new musical instruments. Again, the idea is not that Jubal was the very first person to discover music. Music is a beautiful power that God has created to be discovered and enjoyed by men. Certainly there were people before Jubal who had discovered how to carry a tune, how to create harmonious and melodious sounds with their voices, to sing a song. But Jubal was an innovator in music. He was a man who invented new instruments, marvelous instruments that had never been seen or used before. He was the one who discovered how to attach strings to boards and to create a stringed instrument. The harp or the lyre was the stringed instrument. It was the beginning of all violins and cellos and all stringed instruments. He also invented the organ. That refers to pipe instruments. Any kind of instrument that uses pipes. You blow into the pipes and the music comes out. It probably refers to a pan flute in those early days. That was the beginning of all kinds of pipe instruments and organs that would follow. Jubal became famous as well in his innovations in music, creating new and pleasurable ways for people to enjoy music. But he also was a son of Lamech. And he also grew up in that home of unbelief and ungodliness. 
Jubal did not innovate in the area of music in order to praise the Lord his God with that music. As in Psalm 33, verse 2, Jubal did not create these instruments to praise the Lord with harp or sing unto him with a psaltery and an instrument of ten strings, as David would do later. Or in Psalm 150, verse 4, Jubal did not create the instruments to praise him with stringed instruments and organs. Jubal made instruments to make music that would please the flesh, that would glorify sin and pride, that would give expression to carnal desires and thoughts and lusts. He made a name for himself in the music industry. Just like so many musicians and instrumentalists today who make all kinds of music and blare it on Spotify and YouTube music and all the rest, music that is not for the praise of God at all, but for the praise of man and for the glorification of sin. In the third place, there was Tubal-Cain. He was the half-brother of Jabal and Jubal. His father was Lamech, but he had a different mother, Zillah. He was the full brother of Naamah, his sister. He's called an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. Now again, this doesn't mean that Tubal-Cain was the very first person to invent tools. Did not Cain build a whole city? Cain must have learned how to use tools of various kinds. But Tubal-Cain was, again, an innovator, an inventor, a pioneer. When it comes to the making and forging of tools, Tubal-Cain discovered how to mine out of the earth elements like copper and iron and to melt them together in the fire of the furnace to form alloys like bronze, which would be even stronger than the copper and the iron. And out of that bronze, Tubal-Cain learned how to fashion tools like hammers and levers, axes and knives and swords and spears. So that Tubal-Cain was a developer of new technologies, of tools and weapons. And perhaps he was even an instructor in that whole area of the forgery. Perhaps he was also a man who taught other people how to work with the fire and the flame and the elements, melting them, forging them. But being a son of Lamech, Tubal-Cain did not grow up in a godly environment either. And as he spent his days there inventing new technologies at the forgery, God was not in any of his thoughts. He had no interest in the praise of the Lord. He was not consciously obeying God's command that he work and labor to the glory of God. Just like the great unbelieving tech gurus of our day. Just like the great, rich, and famous industrial innovators in the world today. God is not in their thoughts. So Jabel, Jubal, and Tubal-Cain, they give us a picture of the development of the human race by the midpoint of that first age of history. We might say that if they were alive today, you would see their faces on the cover of Time magazine as the most influential men of the year. But they were in the line of Cain, They were in the line of the ungodly and unbelievers. And God had cut off the line of Cain from his covenant, from his kingdom, from salvation. 
These men labored in unbelief for the pure and sheer delight of making things to be able to sin even more. Now, the point of our text is not to say that technology is sinful or to say that industrial and economic and financial advancement are bad and that we should have no part in culture and science and all the rest. That's not the point of the text. Those are all good things. In the beginning, God called us human beings to be fruitful and to multiply and to replenish the earth and to subdue the earth, to explore the earth, to make use of the treasures of the earth, to have dominion over the cattle and the beasts and the fish and the birds. But God's point in all of that was to do it for his glory, to do it by faith and in the service of the praise and glory of God, and not for our own selfish reasons. If God has given to any of us the gifts and talents to innovate, to invent, to advance technology in any area of our world today, God says, do it. Go forward. Use your talents and gifts. And do that not for your own enrichment and fame and power, but do it because you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So that's not the point in the text, to say that technology and culture is is bad. Rather, the point is to say that God, in his sovereign pleasure, plan, and purpose, has decided that most of the great men, most of the rich Men, the powerful men, the famous men of the world are not going to be from his church, but they are going to be men from the ungodly world. Not always, but most of the time that is true. Our Lord Jesus himself said, I thank thee, Father, that thou hast hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babies. We're babies, believers. The Apostle Paul also spoke of that when he said that not many mighty men, not many rich men, not many powerful men are called by the Lord, but God has chosen the weak and the poor and the base things so that nobody will be able to boast in himself, but he who glories will glory in the Lord. What we also have to see in the text is God is teaching us how earthly developments Technological, cultural, scientific developments serve the development of sin. Think of all of the developments that have happened since our text. Jabel would not be able to believe his eyes if he was in the world today and he saw those who dwell in tents and and have cattle with their huge uh, tractors out in the field and the the modern techniques for agriculture, and to see the big business and the finance, to see Wall Street and all the rest, he would be blown away. And how the world today has developed in all of those things in greed. Greed is what drives man forward to develop all these areas. And greed is what he seeks, money. Jubal. Imagine if Jubal was alive today, the one who created the harp, the first harp and the first pipe instrument 
to see all of the electric guitars and the drums and all the different kinds of instruments, the speakers, the way that we can stream music through the internet into our cars and homes and all the rest. Jabal would, Jubal was not able to even dream of creating such music and to be able to promote the glorification of man and sinful lusts and pleasures through that way. Think of Tubal Cain if he was alive today, observing all the industrial parts of the earth and how man has explored and dug deep into the earth and mined out all kinds of treasures and elements. And man has even sent men to the moon and discovered the minerals and so on on the moon and on Mars and other planets and stars and all the developments. Tubal Cain wouldn't be able to believe it. He would rejoice to see how man has advanced. And what is driving people today in all those advancements? Is it not the desire to establish a worldly, earthly, man-made utopia? Because men have rejected the kingdom of God. They don't want Jesus. And so they seek to establish a worldly utopia. Beyond the wildest dreams of Tubal Cain. Think of the invention of the internet, the camera, photography, videography, and how man has been able to use those technologies in the service of sin. As technology advances and develops, sin develops too. We're going to come to Lamech with his two wives. Lamech couldn't imagine the sexual, marital, Sins that he would have been able to commit if he had access to the internet. If he had access to cameras and televisions. Photography. As technology develops, technology is a good thing, but it's used in the service of sin. So the scripture is also teaching us here, we must not idolize the great men of our time who do not know Jesus Christ. We ought to have as our role models men of godliness and humility and faith. We ought not to look to the great, the famous, the well-known, the rich, and idolize them and say that we want to be like them and follow them. They've got their reward. Their reward is this life, and that's it. Then they perish. But... As these men innovate and invent things, the scriptures are also clear, God will use those men to give us good gifts. The internet is a good gift. God gives that to us to use in his service for his glory, for his praise. And so we do not idolize the mighty men of the world, but we give thanks to God who uses them to give us good things. And, as Christians, we must strive then to use good gifts, not in the service of sin, not for our own selfish ambition, but for the cause of the kingdom and glory of God. Now that brings us into the second point that leads us into Lamech himself and the development of sin in the ancient world. 
We're told in the text that Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of the one was Ada. The name Ada calls to mind beautiful adornment like earrings and jewelry and makeup. And Zillah was his second wife. Her name means shady. And there are differences of opinion what that name might signify, but it's possible that it signifies that she had a darker complexion, a beautiful, rich, colored skin or hair or eyes. But the point is clearly that Lamech took two beautiful women to be his wives. That's significant. In the beginning, we saw that God established marriage as an institution, a relationship between one man and one woman, only one of each. And that these two come together in marriage and they become one flesh. They become a union of body, soul, and mind for life. And as Jesus teaches us, what God has joined together, man must not separate. But Lamech thumbed his nose at God's institution. And Lamech said, I want to. Whatever his motivations were, we don't know for sure whether it was just pure sexual lust, that he wasn't content to have one wife, he wanted to have two wives for that purpose, or what seems maybe even more likely is it was his egotistical, arrogant pride. He was better than other men. Most men just have one wife, but Lamech is great. He will have two wives. He will be known among men. Lamech was the first person to plunge into the sin of polygamy. More technically, it's called bigamy in his case because he took two wives, and polygamy means many wives. Nevertheless, Lamech was the one who first treaded off the path of monogamy into polygamy. Now we know that God instituted marriage as a relationship between one man and one woman, and after the fall, man became totally depraved. But we don't read about people immediately taking several wives. Why is that? Totally depraved, totally corrupt, inclined to all kinds of sexual deviance and rebellion against God, but they didn't, it didn't burst forth all at once. That's not because God was restraining them in his grace, but it's because God allows sin to develop gradually, organically, through time. God in his sovereign providence will see to it that all of the grossness and the disgusting and rebellious aspects of man's heart will be exposed and manifested, but not all at once. God's will is that it will be exposed gradually, more and more, over time. So here appears Lamech in the midpoint of that first period of history, and he takes two wives. He tramples on God's institution of marriage outwardly, what men previously only dreamed and fantasized about, Lamech does. He throws aside all social restraints, all social norms, all legal and political restraints, and he takes to himself two wives. 
This teaches us that also today, sin is developing. We see that. We live in the midst of what is called a sexual revolution. We're living right in those times, right now, as man in our culture, in our nation, in other nations, are throwing off all social restraints, all political and legal restraints, and they are developing in sin, sins which previously were hidden in the heart, which were lusts, fantasies, corruptions within, are now bursting forth into all kinds of vile sins. We see that in the whole area of marriage. The idea that marriage is one man and one woman for life is totally trampled upon. Now marriage can be a man and a man, or a woman and a woman. Marriage can last for as long as you want it to last, and then you can absolve that marriage and have another marriage and another one and another one. Some people enter into polyamorous relationships in which there is an open marriage with lots of partners involved and many other perversions. Lamech appears in Scripture as an example of the development of sin in the area of sex and marriage. There's more. We also read in the text that Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech. Hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech, seventy and sevenfold. We see there again the gross development of sin. We could translate the text this way, and it's really in the form of a poem or a song. He sang this to his wives. Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech. Listen to my speech. For I have slain a man for wounding me, and a young man for smiting me. Notice three things about that song of Lamech. First of all, he sings about a murder that he has committed. He's committed murder. He's killed a man, a young man. He did not kill that young man in self-defense as some have interpreted the text wrongly. It's clear in the text. He killed this man out of revenge. I have slain a man for wounding me. I have killed a young man for smiting me. What we are to see in that song is a poetic description of a real event that happened. There was a tussle. There was a fight between Lamech and this young man. Maybe it was just an argument. Maybe it was a a fierce argument between them. And all that was exchanged at first was words. Maybe that young man insulted the pride of Lamech. Or maybe they got into a physical tussle. and They were rolling on the ground, wrestling, trying to get the upper hand. And the young man, trying to get free, punched Lamech. And Lamech, in his wrath and desire for revenge, lashed back at the young man and struck him with a much more severe blow, knocked him out and punched him senseless until at last he had killed him and triumphed over the young lad. 
He murdered a man. Lamech knew that murder was wrong. God had taught in the beginning that he created man in his own image and likeness. Man is a special creature, and because of that image and likeness, you must not kill him. But there's more than that. Lamech knew that Cain, his great ancestor, had murdered his brother Abel. And Lamech knew that God had cursed Cain for that act of murder. He didn't mind. He went forward and murdered this young man anyway. But the mere fact that he murdered someone is not a development in sin. Cain had already done that hundreds of years before. And no doubt there were other murders along the way. But what is so striking here is in the second place that Lamech boasted of this murderous act. He sings a song about it. He's not content simply to take his revenge and go quietly on living his life, but he actually sits down and writes a poem, a song, and sets it to music, perhaps with the help of his son Jubal, who was so skilled in musical accompaniment. Writing this song, he calls his two wives into the house as his audience, and now he will serenade them. He will recite to them his song in which he boasts of his murderous deed. Far from trying to hide his evil deed as Adam and Eve in the garden put the fig leaves over them and they were hiding, cowering in the trees of the garden, Lamech is out in the open ready to boast and brag, swaggering with a smile on his face, ready to sing a song, touting his exploit against the young man. Far from being ashamed of his sin, far from being afraid of God coming to curse him, Lamech calls his wives in to tell them the tale of his violent success, his brutal defeat of the little boy who thought that he could best mighty Lamech in a fight. But in the third place, not only did Lamech boast to his wives, surely with the intention that his song would be circulated and sung by others, but Lamech turns his attention to God himself and blasphemously and proudly mocks God's threat of judgment. God had threatened after Cain murdered Abel Anybody who murders Cain will be punished sevenfold. If you think the punishment of Cain is great, you will be punished sevenfold if you murder Cain. He takes that curse and threat on his lips. Verse 24, he says, If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Remember that God had set that mark upon Cain to deter men and to warn men against the evil of murder. Lamech mocks God's threat. Lamech does not believe in God. He does not believe that God is able or that God will actually punish him. He has no fear of God in his heart. No fear of God who is a consuming fire towards those who sin against his law. He flouts God's commandments. He boasts in the face of God himself. 
Oh, he says to the Lord, if Cain will be avenged sevenfold, then me, seventy-sevenfold. If you give to Cain the distinction and the honor of being avenged sevenfold, then I take to myself the greater distinction, the greater honor, that if anyone kills me, the punishment will be 77 times greater. Not because he actually believed that he could make that happen. He didn't care. He was simply venting the arrogance, the haughtiness, and the brazenness of his unbelieving heart. He was actually taking God's threat of judgment and twisting it to call more attention to himself. All that he does here in the text, he does to call attention to himself. He wants men to say, Wow, did you hear about that Lamech? He's not afraid of anyone. He's not even afraid of God. I'm not going to go up against him. He's not afraid of God's cursing of Cain. Did you hear what he said? So we can see the development of sin in the life of Lamech. There's a shamelessness. There's a fearlessness in sin. We see that happening in our world today as well. Whereas it seems in the past, even unbelievers wouldn't burst forth so arrogantly and brazenly and boasting over their sins. Today, all manner of wickedness and perversion is not only done, but it is boasted in. It is bragged about. It is spread all over social media, all over the news. Nobody is afraid of God who can punish everlastingly in hell. Now we must consider that what Lamech does is only a fleeting triumph. Lamech appears on the pages of Scripture as sort of a snapshot of the condition of the human race at that time. It's a glimpse. It's a window for us to look into the past, into that time, and to see how far things had developed. And what do we see there? We see Lamech standing up on the pages of the Scripture, as it were, shaking his fists at us, laughing at us, mocking God, boasting of his evil deeds, and then just as quickly he's cut off and he vanishes away. We don't see him or hear from him again. The line of Cain comes to an end with Lamech and his sons. We don't read of any more after that. Not because there were no more. There certainly were. There was a continuation of the line of Cain, but the line of Cain, of Lamech, of his sons, would be utterly destroyed in the flood several centuries later. But the scriptures don't even tell us any more tales or any more stories of the life of Lamech and his descendants because God is telling us, look, Lamech was cut off. He vanished away. 
When sin ripens and develops, the world fills up the cup of iniquity and God comes in judgment and destroys the world. That's what God does. That's a warning to the ungodly and it's a comfort to the people of God. It reminds me of Psalm 37, a beautiful psalm. Maybe read that before bed tonight as you reflect upon the sermon. It begins this way. Fret not thyself because of evildoers. Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. God accomplished absolute victory and triumph, everlasting triumph over Lamech and all ungodly, arrogant men like him when he sent Christ Jesus into the world. In John 12, 31 through 32, Jesus said to his disciples, just before he died on the cross, he said, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Jesus said, now is the time. Now I will bring absolute triumph to God and his cause by laying down my life on the cross. There's Lamech in all of his boasting and arrogance and pride and murder and adultery, and there's Jesus. Meek, lowly, humble, in love, giving up his life on a cross. Love destroyed pride. By his love for us, giving his life for us. Ironic as it may seem, he dashed in pieces the heathen with a rod of iron. He broke them into pieces like a potter's vessel. But by his love, laying down his life for us on the cross, he saved us. Saved us from all ungodly men who might ever rise up against us. So as the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 6, 14, this should also be what we say in our hearts. God forbid that I should glory like Lamech, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified to me and I unto the world. That bond between me and the world is broken through the cross of Christ. And therefore, I have nothing to fear. We live in the last days. We see all around us the development of technology, the development of culture, the development of science. We see the arrogance of man, murder, adultery, and all kinds of sins coming to their ugly fruition. We might be tempted to be afraid at times. We might feel very small at times, very alone as the church in the world. I know I do. 
but we have nothing to fear. Just as Lamech was cut off, his triumph was fleeting. His triumph was like a vapor that soon disappeared. So also is the success and the triumph of man today. Man is going to advance even farther in technology. Who knows what will be accomplished? And who knows how wicked the world will become? But we don't have to be afraid because we know that we have the victory in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We know that he's coming. And he's not going to destroy the world with a flood, but with a fervent heat. But let us go home today remembering what our Lord says in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we give thee thanks for thy word, which is fresh and new to us as we dig into old treasures and as we set forth what thy word is teaching us. We thank thee for the comfort that thou dost give us as we live in a world of much development, which is not good. We pray, comfort thy people, be with thy people, and may thy cause and thy kingdom triumph in the world as the gospel of a meek and lowly and crucified Savior is preached in all lands. We pray that in this way, Jesus, who was lifted up on the cross, might call to himself all those whom he has chosen.